Dan, do you know I'm in the Federal Witness Protection Program? <laughs> yeah, ShopRite really rocks. <laughs> there's, things, there's things that happen in ShopRite that will never happen in any of the stores. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a dedicated ShopRite user. I go every Monday morning, and I'm there at 10 o'clock, and, uh, and the same crew is there every Monday. Danya's, Danya's over there at the, at the deli slicing sandwiches, and she's, a, she's part of the neocatechumic way, so when I walk in, she, brother too, and she gives me a kiss on the cheek, and we talk about what happened on Sunday, and, and Mary's slicing meat, and Jen's at the cash register at Walmart. You get to know them all. Uh, but things happen at ShopRite that happen at no other store. And, uh, and you know, you ever get, like, when you're, like, pushing, pushing the wagon up, or the cart, the cart, the cart, you know? and, and, you know, like, like, you're going up one aisle, and the person passes you, you know, and you kind of just kind of notice them, and then you turn the next aisle, they're going, then you pass them again, you know, and, uh, it really determines on whether they buy citrus and apples first or lettuce and strawberries second. You know? And if they start, if they start on the one aisle over, then you're always going to be hitting each other, like going through the aisles. Right? So, anyway, so I'm pushing up, and there's a woman. She passes me this way, and kind of like greet her, and kind of keep going. <laughs> then uh, second aisle, same thing happens, you know. I'm kind of sad. So, third aisle, she stops me. She says. God told me you're spiritual. <laughs> and she said, and she said, and I have multiple sclerosis and I have sciatica. Will you pray for healing for me right now? And I said, absolutely. <laughs> so right by the right by the Cheerios, the Holy Spirit came down. Uh, and uh, it was great. It was just a, a great experience of God. Now, that would never happen in Kings. <laughs> That would never happen in Wegmans, okay? Trader Joe's. What? Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's? All right, maybe you have a Trader Joe's. <laughs> stop and shop? Mm, I don't know either. You might be at Stop and Shop. Oh, you're a Stop and Shop. That's right. That's where I first met you 12 years ago at Stop and Shop. <laughs> my, very, my very first connection with Dave Gonda was the Stop and Shop on Eastern Avenue 12 years ago when I first got back here from Boston. So, anyway, so, yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, shop, shop, and I like the Piscataway store. I know a lot of people are down in the Piscataway store. I kind of like the Piscataway store. So, anyway. So, we're starting our series on the church. I love the church. Um, if, I, if I didn't love the church, I would be in the wrong business. And, uh, and I'd be shooting myself in the foot. Uh, but, you know, it's funny how, like, you know, your, your understanding of the church develops over time. And I still remember, like, the first time I realized that the church was the church. And I was, like, four years old, and my parents are driving us to Sunday Mass all, like, five blocks, you know? And, uh, and usually, in those days, the back seat had a, uh, like, between the window and the seat was, like, a, a shelf. And this was before people cared about kids getting killed. And, uh, and so I would just climb up there and just, like, look. And I'd just, like, look out the window where my father was driving, you know, and he didn't seem to care. And, uh, and, and all, of a sudden, all of a sudden I said, um, I saw the church steeple. And I said, Daddy, is that, oh, chimes, that's great. I said, Daddy, is that my church? And he says, Jude, that's your church. Yes, 
And after that, I just became possessive of the church. That's my church. That's my church. And to this day, I take my church very seriously. Uh, so we're going to talk about why be Catholic, you know, and it's going to be, we're going we're to take the whole year, so we're going to take it slowly, you know, one month at a time, just kind of talking about it and talking about the reality of what it means to be a Catholic. Why, is, why should we remain a Catholic? You know, St. Athanasius, uh, he's uh, 325 AD, and he makes an interesting statement, and he says, why is it that most people scoff at Christianity? Why is it that most people scoff at Christianity? What do you think? Why do you think most people scoff at Christianity? They don't understand it. All right, why? I think we're too judgmental. Too judgmental. You know, I've been talking about that. Anyway. <laughs> it's too hard. It's too hard, right? Yeah. Right, right? You're getting close? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We don't practice yeah. what I'm sorry, what? We don't practice what we preach. All right, there you go. They don't like the rules. They don't like the rules. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And, and we know the church is about rules, you know. So yeah. <laughs> anyway. anyway, so... But Athanasius is saying, like, like, times don't change, brothers and sisters, all right? He's saying this in 325, okay? So do the math. What is that, 1,700 years ago? All right. All right, 325. He's saying the reason why people scoff at the Catholic Church because they think it's impossible. They think it's impossible, all right? How many people today think the church is impossible? How many times in my own life have I thought the church was impossible? How many times... You know, you can't ask that of a person. You can't ask. You can't make me do this. You can't. I mean, how many times have we said it to ourselves? It's a real perennial question in all our lives. And, and, and particularly on the secular side, people who aren't immersed in the church, they look at it from the outside and they say, you got to be nuts. you got to be nuts to be part of this Catholic church, you know? So, so yeah, the idea, that, like, like what's out there is it's impossible to be a Catholic, right? Now, we know that it's not impossible to be a Catholic because historically we see the parade of men and women who have gone before us, you know, who have, uh, who have become saints and who have lived a good Catholic life, and we're walking in their train. But it's interesting because we, all of us have this sense of life's impossible or, or Catholic, Catholic life is impossible. Um, what do you think, what do you think it could cause in a person? Or I should say... What do you think is the biggest pandemic we deal with today in society? What do you think it is? What do you think it is? Like, what do you, you know, like in your heart of hearts, if you ever kind of like bring it all down to one thing, like, except for like sin, all right, all right, sin ultimately, I don't need that, there. But I mean, in our, in our existential experience, day in and day out, what do you think is the disease that we have to struggle with every single day? Loneliness. Loneliness. Selfishness. Selfishness, yeah, it's all, it's all part of it. We're looking for the root. Selfishness? Okay, yeah, I'm selfish too. Respect for life. Respect for life. Concupiscence. Concupiscence. Pride. Pride. You're all there. There he is. Mary. Yes. Boredom. Boredom. It drives everything. Okay? Boredom drives everything. It drives our economy. Okay? Look at commercials. What do they play on? They play on our boredom, all right? Uh, how many people look at their cell phones right now? <laughs> All right. Are you bored? You know? Interesting enough, I was talking to a very good priest friend of mine the other day. I had dinner with him. And, uh, and he was with another very good priest, a friend of mine. And they went on vacation together. And they're sitting at the table. They're sitting at the breakfast table. And he's talking to him. And the other priest is like uh, going like this. And, 
So the old priest said to him, are you that important? You know, it's like, it's stung, it's stung, you know? But this idea of boredom, we run into it every single day. I mean, that's why I reach in our pockets for no, for no reason whatsoever. Let me look at Facebook for the 400,000th time today, all right? Oh, I wonder what NPR is saying for the 400,000th. I wonder what Fox is saying. Now, how about ESPN? Oh, man, he's got killed last night. You know? And why is it? Why is it, you know, why is it that we, you know, why is it we binge watch net, Netflix? You know what I mean? I mean, boredom. Boredom. Okay, can someone define boredom for me? Can someone define boredom for me? Disengagement of life. There's, that's part of it. Yeah, yeah, boredom, boredom. Not knowing what they're looking for. Not knowing what they're looking for. Yeah. Lack of purpose? Lack of purpose. Amen. Amen. Now, Tim, you're a farmer. Mm -hmm. Do you ever, like, when you're, like, out plowing acres upon acres, do you get bored doing that? No, I enjoy doing that. I thought so. It's almost therapeutic. Yeah, yeah. There's, therapeutic. there's, there's beauty. Yeah, there is, you know? And even though it's a monotonous activity, but yet you're engaged in a form of beauty, so it doesn't get bored because you're engaged in something, you know? Isn't that like work every day? Like if you're at work every day, you tend to do the same routine? It could become the boring, but Tim would disagree with you on that. He does the same thing every day and he sees God's glory in it. Seminarian. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Got to be cool when you wear the collar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any thoughts important? Um, I think it would be disengagement from the passions. Okay. All right. All right. And I think it's almost a disillusionment. Disillusionment. Okay. Um, because sometimes it's disappointment for the world as well. Yeah. You know, it's not looking for the expectations of, of their own heart. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'll let the Cat out of the bag, I can say that. Is that politically correct? I can let the cat out of the bag or whatever it is. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I gave a talk one time and the PETA people came after me. Literally, the PETA people came after me. Uh, <laughs> PETA, people enjoying tasty animals. And, uh, uh, um, so, boredom, boredom really is a refusal to accept our dignity. Boredom is the refusal to affirm our dignity, to affirm who we are. Okay? Brothers and sisters, the name of the talk is we're made for something greater. Okay? And we're when we're bored, okay, when we're bored, that says something is incorrect with our relationship with God, with our relationship with ourselves. Okay? Now, you know, how do we get here? How do we get here? All right? Um, Wes, you're the, you're the resident philosopher, okay? <laughs> and um, so I'm going to go through 700 years of modernism in about two minutes, okay? So I'm just painting caricatures, okay? So don't nail me, all right? <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So, okay, there's this disengagement with who we are as a person. There's been a split in the person, and it started with little ideas, and, uh, Wes, I'm going to start with Occam. Okay? All right. Brief definition of nominalism. So nominalism denies utopian universes. 
denies universals, okay? Nominalism does not, now what does that mean? It denies <laughs> universals, all right? It denies universals. Does that mean it denies the New York Yankees? I mean, I mean you know, because, you know, it may be the Boston Red Sox nation, but it's the Yankee universe, all right? <laughs> um, but, but, all right, what, what Wes is right on is basically nominalism says name and claim. Because I name something, that's what it is, okay? Now, do you start to see there might be a little, like, problem with that, okay? Yes. So, like, that's a banjo. Well, it must be a banjo because I say it's a banjo. You disagree with me? Are you a bigot? Are you, that's hate speech. Oh, my gosh, you know? No. But you see, right? That's not a banjo. That's a guitar, okay? But, you know, and this is a TV, so would you agree with me that's a TV? All right. But it's a TV because it partakes in TV-ness. <laughs> all right. All right. So name it, claim it. All right? Okay. So then, you know, we get into Descartes. All right? Descartes, and he says, I think, therefore I am. All right? Now, he said a lot of great things. All these guys were decent Catholics. All right? They were. They were. Okay. So I think, therefore I am. Okay? Do I exist if I'm in a coma? There you go. Yeah. Are you thinking? No. All right, so Descartes will boom, throw it out. <laughs> they throw me out of Rutgers for that one. Was. <laughs> but there is beginning to become a split in the person, the mind and the body. There's a problem there. My, my, my mind can do one thing, my body can do another thing. We've had several U.S. presidents who believed in that. Uh, <laughs> won't go into details. Uh, this is a PG audience on our So anyway, so I think, therefore, I am. And then we come up with Immanuel Kant. Now, Immanuel Kant was anal, all right? It is said that he opened his front door and walked out his front gate the same time every single day, every day. Guess what country he was from? Germany. <laughs> <laughs> enough said, enough said. <laughs> you get one. We, we've lived through this. Anyway, so but Kant said, really, what we do is we impose reality on things. So if I, going back similar to what we said about Occam, if I say something is, therefore it must be, my mind imposes reality outside of me. And if I don't think that you're human, that's fine, because that's the reality I impose on you. And then it leads to Friedrich Nietzsche. Okay? And Friedrich Nietzsche is known for uh, what famous aphorism? God is dead. God is dead. Right. What does he say the sentence before and the sentence after, though? Quiz. Right. What's, but what does he say prior to that? Uh, it's something like, you shot it in the streets. God's a little better. It's almost like going to shop right. You shot it in the aisles? No. <laughs> <laughs> Cry out in the marketplace, God is dead, and we have killed him. Victoria says that every day at ShopRite. <laughs> uh, cry out in the marketplace, God is dead, and we have killed him. What was Nietzsche saying? Nietzsche was a prophet. He said, our materialism has killed God in our lives. Okay? There is nothing wrong with that. Excuse me, what you saying? Oh, oh, okay, good, good, good. 
So that's why you don't go to stop and shop. Okay. But also, Nietzsche was guilty of this will to power. All right? This sense that um, there's such a thing as an Oberman, a Superman, who can impose his will on anyone. Okay? And we see there we're starting to begin to taste something of Nazi Germany. All right? We're starting to see that someone in power can say, you're not human, so therefore I need to put you to death. Okay? You're not human, therefore you should be a slave. All right? do, you see where, do you see where this little idea of, that's a banjo, ends up in the Holocaust? Okay? Pride. Pride. And then after the war, John Paul Sartre, what does he say? Hell is other people. Okay? Hell is other people. Now, he wasn't a very happy man. Okay? And you know, Wes, when you write your dissertation, I would love for you to write the history of how these guys went to their maker. I mean, Nietzsche, there's one of the earliest videos of Nietzsche. It's like 1900. It's out there. He is in a mental asylum, catatonic, catatonic. That's where your thought can bring you. That's where you can, your thought can bring you. But interesting, interesting enough, out of the ashes of the Holocaust comes a prophet. And his name was Carol Wojtyla. And he, living through the war, knew what these philosophies led to. And he said, there has to be a better way. There has to be a better way. And so when he became Pope, John Paul II, his very first encyclical, Regen Taurus Hominis, he goes after the subject straight on. And what does he say? The truth is that only in the mystery of the incarnate word does the mystery of man take on light. For Adam the first man was a type of him who was to come. Christ the Lord, Christ the new Adam, in the very revelation of the mystery of the Father and his love, fully reveals man to himself and brings to light his most high calling. Brothers and sisters, remember that. Jesus, the Son of God, fully reveals ourselves to ourselves through him, okay? For by his incarnation, he, the Son of God, in a certain way, united himself to each man in baptism. He worked with human hands, he thought with a human mind, he acted with a human will, and with a human heart he loved. Born of the Virgin Mary, he has truly been made one of us, like to us in all things but sin. He is the Redeemer of man. He is the Redeemer of man. Brothers and sisters, because Christ came, our dignity has been changed. Our dignity is of such a high level now. Do you know there is a human heart that beats in the Trinity right now? Our hum humanity is so great that Jesus brought it to heaven with him, and he, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, there's a physical body. There's a, there is a glorified body in heaven. Right? That's where we're headed. Okay? That's what we were created for. All right? But then we have, of course, in our own lives, in our own humanity, there's parts of us that are fallen, right? So, the, the question of the ages, is man good or is man evil? And, sorry, I don't want to be sexist. Is man and woman good or is man and man, man, woman evil? What do you think? What do you think? Good. Hmm? Good. Good, 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 good. You know, uh, there's an adjective that goes to that from Genesis. Not just good. Very good. 
Very good. Very good. All right. All right. Genesis 1, 27 to 31. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning on the sixth day. So he made us in his image and likeness. Right? He made us for greatness. He made, him like, made us like himself. And brothers and sisters, the gift that he's given us in our dignity is free will. Is free will. That is the difference between us and the animals. Okay? Animals are instinctual. Okay? Animals can exist, but they don't have free will to choose between the good and the evil. Okay? They don't have that. They don't have that. And animals will always be animals. Okay? They'll never be greater than animals. Now I know some of us are attached to our poodles and our our uh, beagles. What's that? Beagles. Okay, beagles. I know that. I know that. Okay, you know, but but nevertheless, okay, a beagle will always be a beagle. I mean, a dalmatian will never drive a fire truck. <laughs> you'll see a dalmatian on the back of a fire truck, but you'll never see a dalmatian on a fire truck. Or now, people have known me a long time, manatee. Right. You, you all know my you all know my manatee stories, right? Florida has a love affair with manatees, correct? Yes, correct. I love manatees. There you go. <laughs> Did you grow up with a manatee mailbox? No, I was. But you saw them, right? Yes, not my neighbor did. All right. In Florida, they have these mailboxes. They're this big. And the mailman opens the manatee's mouth. Now, this is, this is the part of the talk that they, they attacked me in Boston, literally attacked me in Boston. So you know, it was a different crowd. Jersey, you guys are cool. You're blue collar. You get it. You get the drift. Uh, they own. You got it. So, uh, but anyway, like, manatees are stupid creatures. <laughs> they live in waterways and they get hit by, hit by boats, all right? Now, you would think you get hit by a boat once, you would learn. No. They get hit by a boat twice or more times. Oh, you just see, they have like track marks all over their backs where they get hit by boats, okay? Uh, they are stupid creatures, okay? So I'm not saying we shouldn't take care of them, but I'm saying they're not human, okay? They're not human. You think if I get hit by a boat once, you think I'd learn? If I, if I live, live to talk about it? All right, okay? So, so we, you know, we have this free will in order to choose the things that are good, okay? But nevertheless, nevertheless, although we are good, you know, we are fallen, okay? We are fallen, okay? When Adam and Eve partaken of fruit and original sin came, okay, they ruined it for everybody. They ruined it for everybody. Genesis 3, 7, 8. Then the eyes, they ate the, they ate the fruit. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Interesting. Did they sell them at ShopRite? Fig leaf aprons? <laughs> what? what? Maybe during Halloween. Okay. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Brothers and sisters, Adam and Eve sinned. What did they do? They hid. Brothers and sisters, we've been hiding ever since. Okay. What did the father say? The father said, Adam, where are you? Okay. He knew where he was, but Adam no longer knew where he was. Okay. A perfect example of concupiscence six years old, right, teetering on the age of wisdom, okay? 
age of reason. Age of reason, okay? What does a young boy do? He passes a construction site. He sees wet concrete. He waits. He hides behind a mound of dirt until all the workers go home. And then what does he do? He runs through the wet concrete. All right? All right? So, right? Runs through the wet concrete. I saw what I did. What did I do? I ran and hid. I still remember to this day. I ran and I hid. And I was like, well, no one's around. Why did I run and hide? But it's the natural response to sin. We run and hide. All right? And we've been hiding ever since. Okay? So, so, you know, in our own lives, this concupiscence exists. This, this, this desire to run away from God exists. Uh, in the Catholic Catechism, it says, as a result of original sin, human nature is weakened in its powers, subject to ignorance, suffering, and domination of death, and inclined to sin, and, incli- and this inclination is called concupiscence. And I just want to underline, subject to ignorance. You ever drive the Jersey Turnpike? Wow. There's ignorance out there. But that's right. uh, But anyway, uh, enough said about that. Um, that didn't go over too well. So, um, so anyway, we have this desire. To, we have this desire to sin, but you know, we can master it. So after uh, Cain killed Abel, what does the Lord say to Cain? He said, "You are angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted?" And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It desire, its desire is for you, but you must master it. Brothers and sisters, we must master ourselves. Okay? Master ourselves. The interesting thing about self-mastery is it's impossible. <laughs> All right. It's impossible on your own steam. Okay? It's impossible to do to willpower. It's impossible. The only way we can master ourselves is through the grace of God. Okay? So what does John 15 say? Okay? Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay? What well, part of nothing don't we get? Right? Nothing. Nothing means nothing. Right? But see, this is where God, even in the midst of the sinfulness of Adam and Eve, comes to save us. And he reveals himself. And he reveals himself in many, many ways in the scriptures. But interesting enough, if we look at the church and, and its, its movement towards understanding human dignity, we have to talk about St. Athanasius. We have to, okay? Because it's the year 325, all right? Jesus dies, goes to heaven, resurrects, and the apostles and their disciples are running around the world evangelizing people, Okay? Now, they're evangelizing people, and miracles are happening, and the gospel is being spread, but there's not a whole lot of theological reflection going on. All right? All right? And so what happens is some of these big questions start to arise. Questions like, well, you know, what is the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Okay? You're not going to read that in the scriptures. I mean, you're not going to see, you're not going to ever read Holy Trinity in the scriptures. Okay? You're not going to read it. But, but what is the relationship? Is Jesus God? Where did the Holy Spirit come from? Is the Holy Spirit God? Okay? These are questions that, through the power of the Holy Spirit, only the church has answered. And Athanasius used a term, a term that's very precious, and then he invented a term in order to describe the Holy Trinity. And the term comes from the Greek, prosopon, 
And the term is person. Person. Don't use that word lightly. Okay? When you think of person, think of the Trinity. Because that's what the word was, was intention, originally intended for its use. The word person. But how did Athanasius define a person? A being in communion. A being in relationship. A being in communion. So, the Father is in communion with the Son. The Son is in communion with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Communion is in, in communion with the Father and the Son. Okay? Communion. Total unity. With unity. All right? So you think God was perfect, all right? God was perfect dwelling in, dwelling in heaven. He doesn't need us. If he needed us, he wouldn't be God, all right? But his fruitful love, his generosity, his gratitude was so large that he created beings like us to be in his image and likeness, okay? And so after the fall, okay, what does he do? He sends his son. He sends his son for many reasons, but for two. First, to die for our sins, to die for the sin of Adam, to die for all our sins in perpetuity. But the other reason is, show us what it means to be a person. Show us what it means to live in the image and likeness of God. And in Athanasius' own words, God became man, so man might become God. Brothers and sisters, know that we, in the image and likeness of God, are God. God dwells in us because of our baptism. So this is powerful stuff here. All right? Do you see why we need the church? Okay? If the church didn't exist, we would have never reflected on this. Okay? It would have still been perhaps a lot of disciples running around, perhaps doing all kinds of miracles and people getting saved left and right, but there would have been this deep understanding of the dignity of the human person. So brothers and sisters, we need to cherish that. And we need to realize in our baptism, the Trinity dwells within us. And brothers and sisters, when we pray to the Father, our Father in heaven, God meets God in our hearts. God meets God in our hearts. So when you're going down the Jersey Turnpike, remember, that person next to you has the Holy Trinity in their heart. And it'll make it easier, okay? It'll make it easier, right? How are we doing on time? We're okay? Yeah. All right. Okay, so... Just to say a little bit about the qualities of a person. And who and what is this person? What is it, the qualities of a person? And the first thing is, a person has an interior life. An interior life. Right now, um, I'm speaking to about 40 people, 50 people, okay? And I'm saying things, and 40 or 50 people are interpreting what I'm saying 40 or 50 different ways. It has to be that way. Why? Because you bring your stuff with you. I bring my stuff with me. Okay? So there's an interior life. Proof. I've, I've done it. Well, maybe it's not proof. West Hall. But anyway, <laughs> do you ever look yourself in a mirror? You know? When I was a kid, I used to look at myself in a mirror, not for vanity, but I used to look and say, there's something more going on than that reflection. Okay? There's an interior life going on. There's something in our hearts, you know? There's something that other people will, maybe will never see. There's things that are a mystery to us and other people, all right? A person is independent in action. You cannot coerce a person. You cannot force them to do anything. I mean, below the age of reason, yeah, you got to, like, crack every now and then, you know? If the, you know, with children, you have to coerce them because they don't know better. But adults, you know, adults, you know, you can't coerce them. You can't force them. 
I mean, the failure of the Soviet Union is proof of that. You just can't force people to live together, you know, without killing them. Okay. A person, you know, as John Paul would define, a person is nothing more or nothing less than a being who wants to love and be loved. All right? When we think about our essence and who we are as persons, we want to love and we want to be loved. If we live that way and we knew that in our hearts, brothers and sisters, this place would be a very, the world would be a very, very different place. A person is not just physical and sensual, okay? We're not just a bunch of perceptions firing off and hormones telling us to do this and do that. No, just the fact we know that tells us more than that, okay? We're much, much more than that. You know, you know, you can't measure freedom. You can't measure love. There's so many things that are just beyond empiricism, okay? You can't measure those things, you know? And it says there's something bigger going on. A person is awesome. A person is awesome, in need of awe. I quoted C.S. Lewis many times in uh, Glory. Uh, what's his name? Uh, C.S. Lewis' book on uh, glory, glory, glory. The weight of glory. The weight of glory. Okay, his quote is, if we really knew who one another were, we would tempt, we'd be tempted to fall down and worship one another. All right? All right, that's what he says. We'd be tempted to fall down and worship one another. That's our greatness, so we're awesome. But the most difficult, in closing, the most difficult theological concept that we will have to come to learn in our own lives, brothers and sisters, is that God loves us. God loves you, and God loves me. And he loves us so much that he's adopted us as his sons and daughters. Brothers and sisters, we use that term too tritely. I know I use it too tritely. Say, oh, she's a son of God. She's a daughter of God. He's a son of God. You know? and, we say it, and we say it so quickly, without understanding what that really means, okay? If we really knew what he, to be a son and daughter of God, do you think we'd have anxiety? Do you think we'd be worried? Do you think we'd be concerned when the creator of the universe is our father? If we really understood what that meant, that, that, what, that meant that, what that means, okay? Well, you see, it's impossible under our own steam. Brothers and sisters, it's an act of grace, Okay? There is something much bigger than we are involved with all of this. And we talk about self-mastery. We talk about uh, uh, becoming saints. When we become, we talk about living virtuous lives and grace-filled lives. It's impossible. But with our Father in heaven, nothing is impossible. Okay? Because he wants us to reflect his glory. Okay? We were created for his glory. He wants us to reflect his glory. Now, that's what we were created for. And that's why we're Catholic brothers and sisters. So, amen. amen. amen.